Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. Today's special guest is a longtime resident of China, James Wood. Is it a British Australian? We're going to have to ask him about that. Living in China, who shares his experiences on Twitter, his website, and other online platforms. James has a background in information technology. Before moving to China's mainland, he lived in Japan, Thailand, and Taiwan. Now living in Fuzhou, he describes himself as an amateur earth scientist, linguist, and photographer. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Let's start with British Australian. Which is it? Could you tell us a little about this hyphen? Yeah, I'm a dual citizen of both. But I was born in the UK. So I was born in the UK and moved to Australia when I was nine. So at a young age, moved with the entire family to Australia, Brisbane in Australia, and remained there for the rest of my life until the time that I went overseas and spent time living and working throughout Asia. Well, you moved pretty early. What do you remember about living in the UK as a child? I actually remember a lot. I remember two of the homes that family, my family lived in at the time. I remember the street that I grew up on, the primary school, the woods that resided over the road from our house. And funnily enough, I never went back to the UK until five years ago. So now six years ago now. And that was the first time I went back. So I went back with my wife and did a road trip around the UK and visited. The- did you go see your old neighborhood? Yes, I did. And it looked exactly the same as how I remembered it. And it was surreal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that, that 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 sounds like it would be surreal. What did your wife think? She loved it. We landed in uh, Edinburgh and then we dr- drove all the way down, essentially, because I was from uh, Kent down in the southeast of, of the UK or England. And she was quite surprised. She didn't really expect the UK to be like that. She'd never been there before. And she'd spent... Well, I mean, like what? What was the UK like? Cold, wet. Sunny, a mixture of all three. And she sounds like Monty Python. Sorry, what was that? That sounds like Monty Python. <laughs> there were no scary rabbits to run away from. So, exactly. <laughs> you were just talking about driving, which is interesting because recently you got a driver's license in China. Could you tell us about what started that process, what the process was like, and what it was like finally getting your driver's license? Okay, I'll start with the last part because when I finally got it, I was, I was ecstatic. I was, I was pretty much jumping around the apartment because it was a goal of mine for a while. And driving for me is a form of independence. I've been driving, well, since 1997, uh, so for quite a while. And driving is a form of independence. And I, I was driving uh, when I lived in Taiwan as well. So for me, it was a goal to get my license here. Obtaining the license here, though, wasn't as easy as it was overseas uh, in Thailand, but I've got it. The process was rather difficult. I spent a lot of time asking other expats that live here in Fuzhou on the process and received mixed information, had some help from my wife and their family as well because uh, they're, they're Chinese. And even they received some mixed information, but we managed to get there in the end. And the initial process was to essentially authenticate and translate my Australian driver's license and then put that together with my passport and all documentation that they required and go to one department, provide it, 
and then they provided documents in return and we had to take that to another department to book the, the exam and it was a it was probably a good three and a half to four week process only because we required some documents from australia which we had to get sent back and then i got it but I failed four times. I just want to add that. I failed four times. Is this behind the wheel test or written test? Written only. All on computer. Is the written test, uh, it's, is it in Chinese? It's translated in English and there's only one building here in Fujial that offered that facility to Westerners, an English translated test. And a lot of it was direct translation, so it was a little difficult, sometimes confusing to answer the questions correctly. But I'm not ashamed to say I failed. I failed four times. But the odd thing is that I failed. I got 88% on all four tests. I'm so confused. Wait, so what's pass? <laughs> 100% is a pass. Uh, sorry. Oh, you have to sorry. get 100%. 90%, 90%, 90% out of 100 questions. So not 100%. Wow. So 90% Brutal. of 100 questions. <laughs> and yeah, so I received 88% for all four. And my wife said to me, she said, maybe it's rigged. Something's going on. What's going on here? I said, no, it's not rigged. It's, it's maybe just my luck because 88, you know, it's, it's a lucky number. But the fifth time I passed on the 8th of August. Wow. So you have to wait for Eight. all the eights to line up. <laughs> wait, so you have a car and uh, do you need insurance here in China? I haven't got a car yet. Uh, that will come. I've just got myself an electric bike. So I'm riding around on that at the moment, but a car will come soon. Our daughter is a year and a half. She's not quite ready to go to kindergarten yet, so we'll just hold off. Uh, but yeah, car is on the cards. Nice. Oh, wait, are you planning on getting an electric car? I'm just curious because the yes. new game in China is all about electric these days. Yes. I've been following Chinese electric cars since I first arrived here in 2000. So not a Tesla then? I've always liked Tesla. I like Tesla, but I also like other brands like Geely. BRD is not too bad either. But a lot of the Chinese electric cars or actual Chinese name and branded electric cars come to a very similar price as the Model 3 Tesla or even the Model Y now. So it's it's a bit, and funnily enough, the Tesla Model Y here in China is approximately $30,000 cheaper here than in Australia because Australia chuck on extra taxes and extra payments. And it's, yeah, it, it works out to be cheaper here. Why does Australia add extra fines or extra fees for Tesla? Is that all imports? There's an import tax on cars. I, I'm not an expert on it, but I do know with the Tesla, especially certain models of the Tesla, they put on, I think it was close to a $10,000 luxury car tax. Wow. Don't quote me on that, but there is this massive chunk that's put on top of the price of electric vehicles that are brought in. And there's no subsidies, especially in Queensland where I was from, there were no subsidies or incentives to get electric. Other states there were, but the infrastructure's not there either. So a lot of people aren't adapting um, or adopting electric just yet. Oh, yeah. The best military commander is not he who fights a hundred battles and wins every one of them. The best military strategy does not lead to the desiccation of the enemy's capital city. Decoding the art of war will help you understand why there's no art in war and how Xunzi stayed undefeatable using the science of war with fun stories and insightful breakdown of famous battles. Tune in to Decoding the Art of War on Spotify. Listening to the bridge. 
So you seem to have spent your entire life traveling from one country to the next. Maybe your parents got you started by moving to Australia when you were nine. Could you tell us, maybe let's start there. What was it like for you as a young, you know, British citizen, nine years old, being told by your parents, we're moving to Australia? How did you react? And what was that, the transition like? The feeling and the transition, I can't remember too much. Being nine years old, there are certain things I do remember, like where I was living. I remember being on the plane and, and thinking, whoa, this is cool. Uh, but it was a long time ago. So back in those days, there were no TV screens on the back of the seats in front of you. There was a TV up in the middle of the aisle. I remember arriving to Australia and having all of this excitement and I was given a video camera and a camera to lug around and I was taking photos and videos of everything. So I do remember some things and it was a lot of fun. Being from England and moving to Australia and going into the primary school system and the high school system, it, was, it wasn't without its challenges. Uh, there was quite a bit of bullying there as well directed at me purely because I was different. I was foreign uh, in their eyes and the Australians like to tease and ridicule people from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a couple of friends from down there. I don't think it's just people from the UK. So you move, ultimately moved to Japan, as in lived there for months, a year? How long? Lived there for a year. And that, other than going from the UK to Australia when I was nine years old, that was the first time I actually moved as an adult and lived in a foreign country. And I was living in Osaka and working for um, an English school there, a chain school called Nova at the time. Yeah, I've been to Osaka. It's very lovely. Mm. So ultimately, after you moved around a little bit, you ended up in Fuzhou, where you live now. How long have you been here in China's mainland? Altogether, just shy of two years, mm. because the first time we actually, oh, my wife and I decided to move here for an extended period of time was in 2018, when we lived in Sunming, a very small um, city inland of Fujian. And that was the first time I experienced life here. It was a very traditional city. There, there was a McDonald's, a KFC, and a Pizza Hut. That was it. <laughs> Sounds very traditional. <laughs> Can I ask you about culture shock? Moving to Japan, moving to Thailand, moving to Fuzhou or, or Sunming. What was that experience like? Were there, what kind of things surprised you about moving to the Northern Hemisphere? Culture shock was a problem. I remember having culture shock in Japan, but there was also a lot of excitement there as well because I've been a, a massive manga and anime fan since I was young and Pokemon fan since I had it on the original game boy and playing around with that so japan for me it was more the lifestyle changing and working and day-to-day -day that i struggled with and i think the biggest thing for me or the challenge for me was having to rely on others because i've been pretty independent most of my life so and the same can be said for china even though i moved here with my wife my wife spent 19 years in australia and she moved there when she was 16 so she's predominantly Australian in a way. She holds an Australian passport. So, But for her, it was a challenge too. And for me, it was a challenge because in Australia, I tend to do a lot more. And when we came to China, I was relying on her because I couldn't speak the language. I didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't even order a taxi at the time. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, my first couple <laughs> weeks in Beijing not understanding how to hail a taxi because in, in the United States, it's the thing on top of the taxi that turns on and off and you know it's open or not. But that has nothing to do with it here. It's actually inside the window. There's a light just above where the driver is. And so I was very confused about what light are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. 
in China two years. Is Do you think you're going to be continuing to stay here for longer? I'm very fond of China. I always have been. And I have to say China's home now. There's times when you live somewhere and you know the chapter's finished, you move on and be somewhere else. So now China's home. I mean, we've moved here now with our one and a half, 18 month old daughter. And uh, we're going to educate her here um, at the same school that I'm employed at, funnily enough. And uh, for us, the benefits here outweigh what we Hmm. have back in Australia, even though we were both working professionals back there. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. uh, In Australia, we were both working full time. Many people do. It's not a complaint per se. It's just a lifestyle. (laughs) And we were considering everything. So we we were thinking we were both working. Our commute to and from work would take approximately two and a half to three hours out of our day. And that was to travel a 35 kilometer trip in peak hour to and from work. We could only afford to live in that suburb. So that's where we were. That's where our house was. So we were considering about putting our daughter into daycare and all of the costs involved with that. My parents are rather old now. My mum can't necessarily look after a child. So we were weighing up all the pros and cons and we had the opportunity to come here, be with my wife's family. And I was offered this job at a school which also provides schooling for free for our daughter. So it was a no brainer for us. If that happened, we wouldn't have had a choice, but we have a choice. I get this correct. Your wife, her parents live here, so you're going to get free daycare. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very Chinese family thing. If I were to have a child, I would probably have a very similar situation. That's what brought you to China? Was it coming here for the schooling situation? Or or what initially got you thinking, oh, I want to live in China? The initial feeling, when we came here in 2018, we didn't have our daughter at that time. Uh, So it's always been a country of opportunity in my eyes. I feel that there's more opportunity here in China for, for myself and even for my wife, because my wife is fluent in English, almost native. So it's always been a country of opportunity in my eyes. And I always felt there was more going on here and more choices per se. And plus the culture. I love the culture. I love the food. I love the people. And altogether, just a good decision. Let's ask some cliche questions then. What kind of Chinese food do you like? Because Chinese food in America is not like Chinese food in China. So we got to get into this. Do you know, in all of the time I've, I've been here in China and I've eaten, I've traveled around all different places and restaurants, I've never seen lemon chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I had orange chicken today. It does exist. Oh, okay. So is it, is it the same? <laughs> like it's battered chicken and it's got the sauce? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. My wife ordered it for lunch. I came home after eating lunch. She had it and I was like, where did you get this? Oh my gosh. So yeah, she ordered four different kinds <laughs> and it was like one of, one of them was very like too sweet, you know, very Western style. Mm. You know, you've lived in a lot of places. You've lived in the UK as a young boy and uh, you've lived in Australia. You've lived in Japan. You've lived in China. You've lived in Thailand. Could we get your kind of impressions about similarities and differences between these different countries that you have picked up? Yeah, I'll just uh, just quickly answer your previous question. I like Sichuan food. Sichuan food. food. So, Wait a minute, which yes. which Sichuan spicy. food? Spicy hot pot. Uh, I like mala, the pepper and spicy. You know the the big bowls of. Food. I don't know how to say it in Chinese. That's the problem. My Chinese is getting better, but can't think of it. But the the big bowl <laughs> with all the fish in it and all of the spice, all of the peppers and the and the chili. Nice. That's my favorite. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> the similarities between the countries. I mean, I. Buddhism is something I think that's kind of linked everything together. Back when I was young in my teenage years, I was doing a lot of reading on Buddhism, but that was mainly because I had an interest in Asia as a whole anyway. And 
I moved to Thailand for that reason, to teach and experience culture. I always knew I wanted to be in Asia. I didn't know where. China was always on the top of my list, but I came here last. And that was because of all of the stuff that's bombarded in the West. You know, China, this, China, that, China's bad, all of that. <laughs> so for many years, I put it off and I went other places. So it was Japan, Thailand, Taiwan. But the people were very similar. They're all very polite people and the food, mm. fantastic. Everywhere I went in Asia, the food has just been incredible. I had a very similar experience. I've gotten to travel a lot. And one of the great things about traveling is food. Well, things about China that shocked you, things that surprised you, things that were radically different. Did you notice anything in your first few weeks, few months? Yes. <laughs> the driving, I guess, was one thing, being on, on the opposite side of the road to Australia and uh, the way... Right. We drive on the right side of the road Yes. Here. So that, that was... <laughs> One. That's minute. Sure. A minute issue. But oh, yeah. Japan is the same as Australia. I forget that sometimes. What was that? Sorry. Japan is the same as Australia. They drive on the left side of the road. Yes. Japan and Thailand do. I forget that. Yeah. So, oh, I, I didn't even notice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one difference. The, the big thing about China for me, though, is the infrastructure. The infrastructure absolutely blew me away. The ability to travel everywhere by high-speed rail, and I prefer to go by high-speed rail than plane sometimes. I, I like to drive here, and the roads are incredible. The tunnels and the way they built their roads, their highways, is just phenomenal. I've got nothing like that in Australia. So for me, that was a big shock. And the high-speed rail in Australia has been on the table and discussed by government 40 years, and it has still not been implemented. And you've got China that's just got boom. And, and it's done. Uh, the <laughs> My own opinion is that is the advantage of having an enormous population. Because, you know, if it's like Australia or the United States, you have less people to service. And honestly, I don't know about Australia, but in the United States, people are crazy about driving. So if you build high-speed rail, it's only going to appeal to some people. Whereas here in China, you know, if you build high-speed rail, millions of people will use it like overnight. So even though it's not very profitable here in China, it still makes sense for such a large population. So I think that's one of the reasons that contributed to their success in building it out so quickly. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And in Australia as well, they, they love to drive. I mean, I love to drive, don't get me wrong. I'd love to get in my car and just go and explore. But in Australia, they're still big lovers of, you know, big cars, muscle cars, as they call them in, in the States, or V8s and V6s and turbos. And well, I mean, if you head down to Texas, you're going to get the same. <laughs> yeah, so For sure. there is a difference there. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say I've never been to the States, but uh, yeah, definitely somewhere I'd like to go and experience one day. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. listening to The Bridge. Most people who come to China say before they come or when they first arrive, I'm going to be in China for one year. In our show's history, almost everyone we've interviewed has lived here far longer than that. So, you know, you say you first came in 2018 and you've lived a total of two years here and you want to stay living here. Why is that? Why is it when people come to China for their one year end up just falling in love with it and staying? I think, from my honest opinion, I think it's a bundle of misconceptions. I think we all have this idea of what China's going to be like. And we want to come here and we say we're just going to put a year. We're just going to come here for a year and see how things go. Maybe subconsciously that's what we're thinking. But after arriving here, 
I fell in love with the place. I mean, I found out that it's it's nothing like I was told by friends or other people who, quite frankly, had never been here and the media. So for me, I fell in love with it. I mean, the people are wonderful. The food's incredible. And I just see myself here long term now. I don't want to go back to Australia or to the UK. So here I am. Misconceptions, I think, are the answer. Well, I mean, that's kind of something we like to get at. Um, I ask almost every my, one of my guests this too. If you had to say how, I don't know Australian media very well. How does Australian media represent China that is different from how you perceive China is actually being? Ugh. It's almost a weekly occurrence back home. Like I'll speak to my mother or friends and they'll they'll bring something up, something that's been on the news. So you've got 60 Minutes in, in Australia, which almost has a show about China every week or every fortnight, something negative. It's always a negative perception or something negative about China. They never actually do something about the positives. So for me, I feel that there's something going on. Maybe it's a connection with, with the media and with a narrative. I'm not entirely sure, but it's almost always negative, everything I hear on, on there. And when, when I came to China, I mean, yeah, sure, there are things here that rub me the wrong way. It's just like everywhere in the world. You know, there's things in Australia. Australia is a beautiful country. It's a great country. People are great. There are things that, that I don't like. You really have giant spiders yes. there? Oh, gosh. Like everywhere or they're just like they, they exist in some desert far away from where the people. No, you, you have. So where I was living in Brisbane, it, it borders an area of Australia where you get funnel web spiders, uh, which are usually not huge, about this size. They have large ab abdomen and big, big fangs, you know, a centimeter or two centimeters long. And then I think this made it a lot worse for me. <laughs> but the worst thing is that in your home you have spiders called huntsman spiders now the huntsman they're not venomous to us but they're big they're with their legs span and they 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 climb up yeah they climb up your wall yeah they're harmless to humans yes yes well apart, except psychologically <laughs> yeah, apart from when you jump up on the sofa fall and bang your head because you saw one <laughs> wow but even in big cities like sydney and stuff yeah I, you know, I wanted to visit, but I'm not so sure I can. Don't, I'm a bit of a rack. They're, they're there, but you don't see them. It's like the snakes. Most houses in Australia are where I am in Queensland. The roof, the ceiling of your home, most of the time, most houses will have a carpet python up there. And the pythons are... Wait, most houses are full of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I'm, China is seeming a lot better to me right now. So thank you. <laughs> listening to The Bridge. Okay, so enough, I think a little bit about media. We get the same thing in the United States. There's real China and then there's like, I don't know, trying to sell commercial time or whatever it is that's going on. It's very frustrating. What are some of the things that you like besides food mm. about living in China? Mm -hmm. What are the people, for one? I find Chinese people to be some of the most hospitable people on earth. I mean, I've, I've not traveled everywhere, but uh, for everywhere I've been, I find Chinese people incredibly hospitable. And it's the culture as well and the history that fascinates me. I love to visit the, the old temples or the, the old yeah, me towns. Too, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just phenomenal. And it's the architecture and things like that, which wouldn't have in Australia. Australia is relatively young apart from its indigenous history. So there's a lot here to see there's a lot to do uh, so i'd have to say number one i'd have to say the people because 
I could just sit down and have a tea, polchar, and, and chat and learn things. I'd never get back. You know, it. I actually wanted to. I usually it's all about you, but I want to tell a story that happened to me recently, and I, I feel the same way as you, and that's why I'm saying the story. Chinese people are really hospitable, and I think it's a misunderstanding sometimes. Firstly, they're just really warm, and they'll invite you to their home immediately, or invite you out to eat immediately. They just met you. You're my law wife friend or whatever. But I had this really interesting encounter about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. It's midsummer, and I'm wearing a like 1920s Shanghai, you know, uh, Kung Fu Shan cloak, this really thick, big Chinese traditional article of clothing. And I'm going to the grocery store. I just happened to be wearing it. I was going to the grocery store. I'm crossing the street and it's like, you know, it's like 40 degrees outside. And uh, this old lady sees me. And so she starts yelling at me in Chinese. Don't wear that. It's too hot. You need to wear lighter clothes. But she was like screaming at me full volume in the middle of the street. Like she must have been like 80 years old. So I was just like, how? which just means okay and uh she actually had this little smirk on her face and it was really interesting to me if i was in my first week here in china i would and i didn't understand what she was saying because she was speaking chinese i would have thought this old lady is angry about something and she's taking it out on me but because i was able to actually understand what she was saying and get the fact that she's one of those old ladies who likes to look after the younger people yep. like i got in the context that she's really saying you should be taking better care of yourself think about the heat, young man. You know, you should probably go home and change. You might have a stroke or something. I think that sometimes there can be these cultural misunderstandings that if you stay here longer, really just become the older people are actually caring for you a lot more than you would expect. So I actually, I thought it was really cute. And like other older people were there too. And they were like nodding on as like, yes, good. Admonish that young man. Make sure he doesn't dress like that. Clearly doesn't <laughs> know that it's so hot. <laughs> it's interesting that you raise that because when I was younger here, I was working for, oh, sorry, in Australia, I was working for a theme park. So I got to see a lot of people from all over the world. And a lot of the Australian co-workers I work with were always saying, oh, how rude China these people are, you know, that they're always shouting, they're loud, they're rude. And yeah, I saw it, that they would shout at each other or they would shout and they were quite loud. But I've come to learn that they're actually not being rude, that it, especially in dialect as well here in, in Fuzhou, Fuzhouhua, they talk quite loudly about things and they're getting really excited about something. And when I first experienced that, I thought they were having an argument, but it's not the case. So that was another misconception I had. So Yeah, I think, you know, it depends on the region. Different regions of China, it's different. There's like very soft-spoken regions and very loud regions. Because China's not this one big China. It's actually like all these different provinces and local cultures and dialects. It's so complex and complicated. For people who are in Australia, in Japan, in, you know, the UK, who are thinking about moving to China, what kind of advice would you give them? Don't think about it. Just do it. Just jump at it because it's incredible. And the longer longer you take to think about it and the more things that you hear is probably going to put you off because it did that to me. So it delayed my move here essentially in the past. But, you know, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. So I'm here now. doesn't matter. But meet some local Chinese people because in the UK, there is a, a beautiful uh, Chinese community in Australia. There is also a beautiful Chinese community uh, and very traditional too. So meet with them, talk to them, learn a bit about their culture, uh, psych yourself up for it and make the decision and pack your bags and go. Mm. Well, let's turn that around. What, you, you meet some Chinese folks, they're young. They say, I'm going to go to a university in Australia. What would you tell them? 
Um, I would give them advice on which cities are good, where to go. Uh, I, I, you know, as I've said, Australia's a great country. It's It has its problems, sure. Uh, and there's some racism here and there, especially lately. But overall, I mean, my wife lived there for 19 years and she never had any problems. And we've got friends back there now that never have any problems. So, yeah, I'll be honest with them and I would let them know the good and the bad. I could even give them advice on which unis are good, which unis are, are not so good. Advice on travel, tourist destinations, everything like that. <laughs> where, the, where the spiders are seldom. There's less spiders, perhaps. <laughs> They're everywhere. Oh, my gosh. You know, Australia was on my list. I'm it's slowly coming off of the list. I mean, I, it sounds like a wonderful place, wonderful people, but spiders, oh, my gosh. This big, crawling up the wall. Every house has a snake in it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you don't work for the Australian Tourism Bureau. I don't... I'm not doing a good job at selling it, am I? <laughs> <laughs> you just got to talk about all about the Sydney Opera House. listening to The Bridge. All right. So how do you see China now versus how you saw China in your first few weeks? What has changed in your perception about life here? I see a country with people that are living freely, people that are living everyday life pretty much the same as anywhere else in the world. They're free. They're free to, they're going to work. They're paying their bills. They're raising their children. They're loving their family. What's to hate about that? Sounds pretty much like anywhere, yeah. Exactly. And my first impressions were that it's completely different to how I see it. And China is moving so incredibly fast. I've seen so much happen within, you know, a four-year period or when when I was here first and and traveling here for holidays and then moving here, Hujou alone has has developed so quick. One point it didn't have a metro and all of a sudden it's got a metro almost just incredible. You have a website called Hello Fujo, is that right? I have a website, Hello Fujian, which actually Fujian. I had some problems with and it's not live at the moment. So I've been more active on Twitter and, and I've fired up a, a YouTube channel at the moment. So I'm trying to get that off the ground. But I will pop the uh, website back up at some point when I can. I guess my question is, I've never been there. I've never been to Fujian or Fuzhou or Sun, would you say Sunming? Sun. So could you tell us? Huh? Sunming, yes. Sunming. Could you tell us a little bit about what is Fujian like? Fujian for me is subtropical. It's beautiful and mountainous. Everywhere you go, there are green mountains. It gets incredibly hot and humid here, which is something I don't particularly like, but I love the fact that there's um, hiking trails everywhere. Fujian produces some of the best tea, especially Usan tea, Usan mountain tea. Going from here for Fuzhou, three and a half hours, about approximately, you have Sunming inland, uh, which is surrounded by mountains. It's pretty much everywhere here is just mountains and it's and it's beautiful. So if you're a nature lover, history, culture, food lover, they love their seafood here. So seafood is a big thing here in Fujian. So if you love your seafood, it's, it's fantastic for that. And near Sunming, you have Xiaxian. Xiaxian is pretty famous in China for its snacks. Wait, so you mentioned this three and a half hour drive inland from Fuzhou to Sunming. Is the Fuzhou coastal? Fuzhou is coastal somewhat, yes. Xiamen is on the coast. So Xiamen, in my mind, is a coastal city. Fuzhou is slightly more inland, uh, but it is close enough to the coast. So you have Xiamen and Fuzhou, and then almost like a triangle inland, three and a half hour drive from each, pretty much inland is Sunming, which is a little city tucked away in the mountains where I lived for a year prior to living in Fuzhou. Well, I guess my question as someone who likes to travel is, are there lots of really nice beaches in Fujian? 
Yes, I funnily enough haven't actually visited them yet. I've been elsewhere. My wife tomorrow is going to Changle, which has a beach there, and she's staying in a resort. I can't go because of my work the next day, but that's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, that's uh, fine. Little breakdown inside. <laughs> I, yeah, I am breaking down. I need some tissues. Okay, let me ask you a different question in a different way. I've been to Senya, nice beaches. If I went, so there are resorts in Fujian. I could go there, I could stay at a resort, and I wouldn't have to go all the way to Senya next time. Yeah. Is that right? That's true. I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head. I think it's Pintang, which is on the coast here, and that's got beaches. And you can go and, and walk on the beach and experience a beach like you would down in the south. I think I know what I'm going to do sometime next year. <laughs> I was going to go back to Hainan Island and go to Haiko instead of Senya next year. But, you know, since I haven't been to Fujian anyways, might as well just stay at a resort there because it's closer, probably less transportation cost, plus less environmental impact, all that stuff. China is Australia's biggest trading partner. And, you know, this is very confusing to me when I hear Australia seems to be getting ready to protect its trade ties with China. What is going on? Because I don't understand why is Australia so concerned about China when China is the largest economic partner of Australia? Can you tell me a little or tell our listeners a little bit about what is going on with the Australian with the Sino-Australian relationship right now? And what can be done to mend some of this? Don't quote me on this because I'm, I'm not you know, political in any way, but I believe it's to do with the relationship between China and the US. I believe that it's um, Australia has always had close ties with the US in terms of conflict in the past anyway, and then they're, they're allies in that sense. So I think Australia is shifting and positioning itself to follow the US. There have been some deals recently uh, with the Albanese government. I don't know the exact details, but there is there has been an agreement done building or manufacturing weapons and machines or something like that in Australia. I'd have to, I could send you the link on that later, but um, they're very closely tied with the US. However, trade partner-wise, they want to be with China. So it's as if they're being pulled in, in two directions, but they're mouthing off towards China in, in very negative ways, as if they're following the narrative. So, and, and it's a shame. I mean, Australia is part of Asia Pacific. It um, should have close ties with China. And, and I believe that if Australia were to align more with China and, and rectify that relationship, it would do much better, in my opinion. Maybe economically. You know, you mentioned you are an amateur earth scientist. What does that mean? What are you interested in when it comes to earth science? Geology and uh, the way that the earth works to do with rocks and things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a science lover. I call myself amateur because I studied a year of science degree, which majored in, in geology. And I just found it absolutely fascinating. But that was when I shifted a few things in life shifted and I, and I stopped after a year. I did previous studies prior to that. Call it a midlife so crisis. I don't know. <laughs> You said you like going hiking in here in Fujian. Yes. So do you just randomly stop, pick up rocks and start telling your wife what they are and why they're there? I gave up on that years ago because she <laughs> just said, oh, they're rocks. And I said, yeah, but this rock here is millions of years old and this is how it was formed. And I explained about the sand on the beach and where it's formed and how it got there. And she, her eyes glazes over and it's white. <laughs> so I don't, even, I don't even go there anymore. <laughs> wow. So I would actually be fascinated by that. This sounds really interesting to me. So you're also an amateur photographer. So what kind of photography are you interested in? I'm interested in environmental photography, meaning uh, nature. I also like urban photography. I'm not a big fan of portraiture or advertising photography. I, I like 
objects, architecture and nature, mountains, things like that. Documentary photography was something that um, I wanted to study way back when, but did a different art, different arts degree back then. Also, abandoned places is something that really fascinates me. So your buildings that have just been abandoned and, and nature's taking over, there's something incredibly beautiful about that. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Last question regarding your hobbies. You mentioned linguist on your website, which apparently isn't live. What languages do you speak or have you been studying? Linguistics is more of a study of the science of all language. So unfortunately, it doesn't mean that I'm a master of, of another language or multiple languages. The language I speak the most would be Chinese. But the reason I call myself a linguist, I'd say probably an amateur linguist. My postgraduate was in applied linguistics, and I've utilized that to place myself in work here throughout Asia as an English teacher and teacher here in China. Yeah, I actually applied for a degree in linguistics. Among many other degrees, I ended up not pursuing that. But the program that I applied for was actually the study of the shape of your tongue when it makes different like sounds. So it was. I'm glad I didn't get into that program because I can't imagine how boring that would have actually been. Yeah, talking about <laughs> people's tongues. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, that's a labial. Yes, it certainly is. I think. Well done. Could you tell us a little bit about how people, because you've traveled around quite a bit more than other folks, how people from different nations can better understand each other cultures and uh, maybe create a little bit of more peace in the world? Because, you know, clearly... People in Japan, people in Australia, people in the UK, people in China, people in Thailand, we all have more similarities than I think people realize. That's, that's exactly right. And in my mind, I believe we're all still living in the way that we used to be in the past. Like you have these, you know, little countries and areas within the countries where they're all isolated and they hadn't, you know, didn't have contact with each other and they were enemies with each other and things like that. But we're all on the same rock. We're all living on this planet. So we need to learn to get along somehow. And... I feel, and I use this example with China and Australia with my family back home, is that we just need to sit down and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee together and actually have a chat. Because China, in my mind, and Asia in general, has evolved and progressed in a very different way than the West has. And there's this misunderstanding between the cultures because of these cultural differences. And these cultural differences can be learnt if we're willing to learn them. Where have you been in China? You mentioned traveling around earlier. I'm curious. There's so many places here I want to see and so many places I haven't been yet. Um, I've, I've been to Yunnan and I've traveled around Yunnan, Dali, Lijiang, Kunming. Uh, I've also been to Hangzhou, Qingdao, all the way down the east coast to and even down Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, all those places. But there's so many other places. I, I haven't been to um, Hubei or up the north yet, which... I'd really like to. Uh, Xinjiang is somewhere I'd really like to go. That's at the top of my list. That'll happen, just not yet. <laughs> I got back earlier this year, and I'm, I'm like you. I want, there's so many places I want to see. I'm trying to finish China. But as soon as I finished, like everywhere I haven't been, I'm going back to Xinjiang. That's where I want to go again. By the way, camel ice, it's shaved ice with fermented camel milk and sugar. 
amazing drink. I know it sounds very bizarre. You have to try it, especially on a hot day. It's just what you need. You know, so of the places, Qingdao, I've been there. I haven't been to Yunnan. I hear great things. Where would you recommend people go if they're just going to come to China to travel for a week or it so? It all depends on what, what they want to see. I mean, if they're a city person then and they want to see the big, bustling, busy cities, I'd, I'd probably recommend Beijing or Shanghai. But if they're into history and, and mountains and nature, I'd recommend Yunnan. Of course, there's places I haven't been. I mean, Sichuan and other places have got superb scenery and, and beautiful nature. But for me, Yunnan was spectacular. Lijian, Dali, Jade Dragon Mountain, I experienced a lot up there. If they're into hiking and mountains and tea and history, Fujian is, is perfect too. I'd recommend going off the beaten track instead of following you know, the big tourist hotspots because it tends to be very busy, not just with Chinese people, but people from overseas as well. But I'd have to say Yunnan for me is top of the list. I'd always recommend people to go there and Fujian where I'm currently living and where I will be for some time. Yeah, you live in a place and you're recommending a place, both of which I have not been to. My wife has been to Yunnan. When she got back, she was like, Jason, you have to go. But, you know, it reminds me, I don't want to say who it was, but there was a reporter from American mainstream media, she went to Dali and she was like, I'm in this little town that very people have ever visited. And I'm like, literally everyone I know has visited this place. And it's just so bizarre sometimes how Western media pundits get China so completely wrong. Because one thing about China is even the small towns are like millions of people. So like, you know, there's just millions of people traveling back and forth to all these places. People love to travel in China and they love to travel within China. And you have people visiting, you know, millions of people visiting Xinjiang, millions of people visiting Yunnan, millions of people. I'm here in Beijing. If you go to Tiananmen Square, you don't see Beijingers. It's just nonstop people from other places just pouring through taking pictures. So I think it's really interesting how much travel that Chinese people do within their own country. You're listening to The Bridge. Wherever you are, whether you're in Fujian or you're in in Dali or you're in Beijing, like you have people from all over China there all the time. And I think that's one of the interesting things for me about dialects is you do have very specific Southern dialects, Beijing dialects, Shanghai dialects, but they seem to be getting less incomprehensible to each other as more people travel more often and you have more movies and TV. And it's, I think there is a... a center kind of language, linguistics and culture emerging from, you know, uh, contemporary times from modern times. Where in China, well, you mentioned Buddhism at the beginning of the show, that you're interested in Buddhism. Is that something you shoot when you go to do photography? Do you go to the Buddhist temple to take pictures or just to admire with your eyes? Or do you go and learn there? Both. I I don't learn Buddhism here, but it is something that I'd, I'd want to do. But at the moment, I mainly travel to temples and I'll go with my camera and I'll take some pictures um, of areas that I can take pictures of. I respect their, their rules where the cameras are concerned and otherwise I'll just sit mm-hmm. in silence. I find them incredibly peaceful. Mm-hmm. I sit and read a book and just relax. They're peaceful and it's the architecture as well, the way that they put the wood together and the way that they built the, the structures are just beautiful. I mean, we have castles in the West, like back in, in the UK, we have castles and the castles are spectacular. They're beautiful. But for me, there's always been an appeal with Buddhist temples. Are you into Taoist temples too, or is this just, just very specific about Buddhism? Uh, specific to Buddhism, but 
I'm open to exploring all of it, especially now. I love architecture. I love modern architecture. I love Western architecture. I love Asian architecture. And, and so being in China is, uh, being in Beijing for me is very fascinating because even though there is the huge city, the Chaoyang, where that's where most people go, I actually spend a lot of time exploring the historical places in Beijing. And so it's very exciting for me to go to places like Yuan or Iha Yuan or Tianjin. So these are, you know, two giant palaces that have been here for hundreds of years. And then Tianjin is a Buddhist temple. And there's a phrase that says, so goes Tianjin, so goes Beijing, which basically means, you know, the Buddhists established this temple like 2,500 years ago. And then just shortly after that, the ancient Ji, which was Beijing at that time, became an actual city. And that's where Beijing comes from. So there's just so much fascinating history here. And we, I mean, obviously in the West, we have a lot of fascinating history too. The United States actually tries to reach back into European history for its history to some extent. They're like, oh, yes, there are Native Americans, but there was Egypt. And that's where our culture comes from. It's a, it's very interesting to me. I guess I have to visit Europe someday based on all of the history textbooks from my high school years in America. What do you say to your relatives about your life in China? You said you talk to people back home about once a week. You know, are they learning from you about your experience of living in Japan, of living in Thailand and living in China? Or do they contest that your experience is not correct because that's not what they saw in 60 Minutes? Yeah, that happens. My parents and, and close family are all pretty supportive and, and they understand. And I think I've, I've swayed them because my parents have now got their Australian passports and they're getting ready for a trip in the near future to come here and actually see where we live, uh, which is fantastic. But I do have friends uh, back home, which always, you know, they'll message me from time to time and they'll say, how are you, how are you getting around the Great Firewall? How are you doing this? How are you surviving without the free internet? And I even had a friend reach out and say, how's it feel to be imprisoned? And it's, it's, just, it's just insanity because they've never been here. And I talk to them in a way, and I've actually slowed down on that now because sometimes it feels like I'm just bashing my head against the wall and they're friends. So I don't want to end up in an argument. So it, I always end with the same thing. <laughs> Come here for a holiday, stay with me. I'll take you around and I'll show you what China's like. I mean, there's freedom here. People here are happy. People here, you know, they're not bad mouthing the government because the government's actually doing a damn good job. You only have to look out the window or, or go visit, you know, the, the big cities and travel on their high speed rail, which Australia doesn't have. And in order to travel in Australia, you've got to jump on a plane and pay premium amounts. And it's cheaper to fly from Brisbane to Indonesia than it is sometimes to fly from Brisbane to Perth, which is one side to the other of Australia. Well, Indonesia is pretty close to Australia. I mean, so, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, it's like more. a triangle you're describing right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know much about Australia, but, you know, I'm also eager to try to get a lot of my American friends and family to come over here so they can experience China for themselves. I do have a very understanding mother who trusts me. So when I say mom, it's like this. She's like, oh, it is. That's great. And then she believes I don't even have to come back to it or revisit it. Next time she's like, that's still how it is. So I'm very fortunate about that. I do hope more people from Australia, from the UK, from the United States can come to see China for themselves. I hope Chinese people can visit these other countries as well. And we can just keep growing mutual understanding. Because I think at the bottom of all of it, we're all just people. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, 
that's just families. I had Cyrus Jansen on the show. He said, somewhere in China right now, there's a father, you know, walking his daughter to school. And that's all you really need to know about the similarities between life in China and life anywhere else in the world. Do you have any last thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Try not to believe everything that you hear or see in, re in relation to China. If you really want to experience it yourself, come here. It's a beautiful place. And uh, I'm happy to call China home. And you'll love it if you come here. That, that's all I want to say, because I hear so much negative talk about China from people who have never been here. And this place is just so rich in history, culture, the food and the people are just superb. So I just think people need to come here. That's it. Plain and Where can we find you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle? Commie Pommy. There's, a, <laughs> there's an entire story about that too. So yeah, Commie Pommy. Uh, I can give you a brief rundown if you'd like. Well, it's C-O-M-M-I-E-P-O-M-M-I-E? C-O-M-M-I-E-P-O-M-M-I-E. -M -M -E -E. So it's Commie. We all know what that means. And Pommy. Pommy is what the Australians call the Poms or the people from England. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, yes. sure. So it was, it's, you it's, mentioned being teased in high school. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was called Pommy all the time. So I figured, you know, when I was moving here, um, a couple of people said, oh, you're going to become a Commie. And I went, okay, well, I'll just call myself Commie Pommy. It makes sense. And I like it. So why not? Fantastic. Well, I hope people reach out and uh, find you there and continue to follow your adventure here in China. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who's listening.